Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, and only two more chapters, and we'll have read the book of Joshua. And that's something that I know a lot of us thought that maybe we weren't going to do for some time, you know, but we've made it through all the descriptions of the land, and we've struggled with some of the difficult questions about the conquest, some of the the confusing questions of just the things about the geography. And actually, you know, speaking of that, I am thinking to myself, why didn't we have today's guest back when we were doing Joshua, you know, like 13 through 20, when we were talking about all of that geography and the inheritance of each of the tribes, would have liked this guy's help. He's been to the Holy Land, he says, uh, I think he said seven times when we were chatting before, and so it's great to have um, our guest for today, first time with him. We've got uh, Pastor Dennis McFadden, who's uh, helping out there at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, no less. Welcome, brother. So good to have you on. Thank you very much, AJ. It's good to be with you. And so, is that right? Seven, seven times you've been out there? You said like around Galilee yep. and Judea? Yep, and Transjordan and, and some of the Decapolis cities in Jordan and Petra and Jerash and <sighs> those areas and down into down into Egypt and that sounds just awesome. And I just I've I've got it I would just be happy if I could go there once. Uh, <laughs> but so that's it, it, will that, be, that, it will be worth your time. It really will. Certainly. And um, yeah, so so good to, though, I, I think that even in this chapter, um, having that kind of just feel for the land that we have been talking about this whole time um, is is helpful to to have in mind. But today we are talking about Joshua chapter 23. We're talking less about the land in particular. And now it's Joshua's kind of like last words, his final charge to the leaders of Israel. You know, he's he's done um, he's spoken all the words of God. He's followed God's instructions, whether it was with, um, you know, defeating and, and conquering Jericho or splitting up and divvying out the inheritances. He's fulfilled God's purpose. And there's just kind of this one last uh, sermon almost before this covenant renewal in the next chapter. So um, a very interesting kind of turn here in the tone of these last two chapters. But uh, for us, very cool because uh, I feel like we can kind of just really easily put our shoes, uh, put ourselves in the shoes of Joshua's listeners, and it kind of can feel like Joshua's preaching to us and to our situation too, don't you think? I agree, absolutely. So, great chapter that we have to look at here today. Um, let's go ahead and get started. Would you, brother, do me a favor and say a prayer for us and for everyone listening as we get started with today's text? Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you've called us into the work of your vineyard. You've lavished on us your grace and all manner of spiritual and eternal gifts. Help us to live with you in humility and patience, to hope in the pure grace and faithfulness, to abide in your house, and to praise and magnify your glorious name forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And, and certainly... If we, if we read these words rightly and if we um, do uh, our utmost to understand them, uh, we, by the just uh, proper exposition of the scriptures, that gives glory 
glory to God. It's, it's to the glory of his name. So let's go ahead. This is, a, this, and, is an in, this is an interesting chapter in that I think yeah. it, it, AJ, I think it breaks into three natural sections and mm-hmm. uh, it, we get to eavesdrop on what Joshua thought was important to talk to the people of Israel about. And when we get into it, I think it's, it's interesting because uh, I appreciate the fact that he was an old guy when he was talking and I had my <laughs> Medicare card and I am authentically an old guy. And I'm such an old guy. I don't even buy green bananas because who knows if I'll be around when they ripen. And he starts out with his first eight verses on a historical Uh reminder. Like most of us old guys, he wants to reminisce. And he talks about what God had done as the basis for his call to faithfulness. And then he uses a marital image. And in 9 to 13, talks about the faithfulness to the Lord versus spiritual adultery. And he uses a lot of words. And this is more your field than mine that come right straight out of the Old Testament vocabulary of marriage and marital sin. And Mm -hmm. then he moves on to that great covenant section in just verses 14 to 16. You can't read Joshua without stumbling across that word covenant in just about every chapter. And even if the word isn't there, the idea is. And in Mm -hmm. those last verses, he tells us the Lord keeps his promises, but he also will discipline disobedience. And uh, we certainly see in the history of Israel in 722 with uh, the, the, the destruction of the northern kingdom and 586 with the destruction of the southern kingdom. And then in right. the catastrophe of 70 AD, that right. God fulfilled exactly what he said he would do. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of the that's kind of the overview of, of I think, where we're headed. And uh, yeah, so it'll be. Exciting. Yeah, thank you. I thank you. I think that's a helpful way of breaking it down. I think we can break it down like that in, in our reading today and, and read like the first eight verses and then we can move on to, to nine to 13 and then close it out. I think it's a, it's a great way of breaking it down. And uh, I appreciate also your, your comments about, uh, <laughs> you know, Joshua is an old guy. Isn't, isn't that something, right? Cause you know, way back in chapter 13, I keep, I keep uh, alluding and uh, reminding us of this, you know, back in chapter 13, you know, God talks to Joshua and he's like, Hey, Joshua, you're getting really old, you know? <laughs> um, and, and that's when he tells exactly. him like he needs to, you know, divvy up the land and, you know, make sure that, you know, all of this, uh, he, he takes care of this business cause he's not going to be able to finish conquering everything. Uh, but he does need to make sure that, the next generation of Israelites knows what's up and uh, that they would be faithful to the charge that God's given them. So he's already old way back then. But then in verse one, it says it's a long time afterward, you know, so my goodness, how much older is he? And uh, of course, uh, we get the answer in the next chapter. It says 110. So if you thought, you know, if we, if, if we, if we accept the idea that the conquest started around 1406 or so. We're yeah. probably looking at around 1375 uh, for for this sermon. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's been a long, long time. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it, you know, he looks backward um, appropriately at what God has done. And he also looks forward. And it's no accident that his name is Joshua. And this passage is peppered with all kinds of little hints and love notes about that greater Joshua who would one day come and fulfill the law and all righteousness and uh, be our final 
atoning sacrifice. So I hope we catch that as we go through it. Certainly. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and read then these first eight verses here of Joshua chapter 23 here in the English Standard Version. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So a very powerful charge. And, you know, even though, I mean, you know, you think about this, um, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly. I, I think when you were suggesting it was maybe about a span of maybe 30 years ish, um, you know, yeah. it, it's hard to say exactly how much time has passed. Certainly back in chapters uh, 13 and 14, Caleb, who was his contemporary was already 85. So uh, perhaps yeah, exactly. it has Right. So perhaps it really has been something, you know, like 25 years or something. Um, but what's what's remarkable is that um, even after 25 more years, they still haven't driven out um, all of these enemies that remained. And yet Joshua is resolute and his his charge to them. I mean, it sounds so much like the charge that God gave him all the way back in chapter one. Well, that, and that's what I was going to say. It, you know, the words echo chapter one, verses seven and eight. And yep. so we're, we're picking, you know, when I said uh, he uses a historical reminder, it's, it's what God has done as the basis for his, his charge to them. And he looks back at what God did for them already. And so often that's what a sermon does. A sermon uh, declares the, the great deeds of God and reminds us of what the Lord has done for us as the basis uh, for, uh, you, know, you know, telling us uh, how that applies today. And that's exactly what Joshua does. He, he takes them all the way back. And it's, it's interesting because uh, you can't hardly talk about what God has done without the echo of what they didn't do because Obviously, Joshua and Caleb were the two that got to go across the Jordan, right. and uh, that was an interesting time. They uh, they experienced uh, their baptism. The reformers would tell us uh, going through the Red Sea, and yet at Meribah and Massah, they they complained and whined and griped against the Lord, as we often do. No sooner does He answer our prayer than we complain that we didn't get exactly what we wanted. And they spend 40 years in the wilderness, and then they come to uh, the edge of the promised land, and they're getting ready to go over, and God gives his charge to, to Joshua. 
and uh, 1,400 years later, at almost exactly the same spot on the other side of the Jordan River, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in order to fulfill all righteousness. By, you know, so, so Joshua the first stands on one side of the Jordan, and the greater Joshua stands on the other side of the Jordan, and he does it right. And, but that is amazing. But uh, yeah, the, the same words, you know, be, be strong, you know, pay attention to what I've said. Uh, the words right out of verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. Right. Incredible. Yeah, and, and and I appreciate the way that you just broke it down. I mean, it really is it really is something that, you know, his charge, you know, it says there, you know, be strong, very strong to observe this stuff. Um, you know, I think I think the sense is something like uh you know, resolute, right? You know, like uh, you know, yeah. that kind of set of like, you know, our our Lord Jesus setting his face like flint, that kind of, you know, you you, you look this way and you're not looking back. You know, set yourselves, you know, strong. To, to hang on to this tight, right? And to not deviate to the left or to the right, you know, God's own words, right? That, that he spoke, um, you know, before. And it's, as you said, just very interesting that here's the charge that Joshua gives him. Uh, it's the charge with the prediction that, hey, if you do this, God's going to drive out all these guys from you, right? But, but we, we know right. when we read Judges, well, it doesn't happen, right? Like they, they aren't strong not. and resolute, uh, to to hold on to everything that Moses said, and so no, God doesn't drive out all their enemies before them because of what how they have failed. And yet, as you were just pointing out, it's this is kind of actually just the reason why why you had to have this second Joshua, the greater Joshua, because then he stands here at the river, and it's like he hears yeah. the charge of the first Joshua and says, "Okay, I will be strong and resolute." to observe everything written in Moses. And I won't deviate to the left or to the right. I'm going to do everything and fulfill all of it. I mean, just it just echoes our Matthew 5 reading yeah. that we've had from the gospel in the season of Epiphany. Um, you know, not one jot right. or tittle will pass from the law, right? Mm -hmm. I've come to fulfill all of it, our Lord Jesus says. Absolutely. And and notice in verse 7, uh, the, the temptations that he says, uh, they will face. Uh, there's a temptation uh, to take the names on their lips, to make oaths by raising the hand, uh, to bend the knee, and finally the whole body. The first temptation to make mention of the names of the powers, forbidden mm -hmm. in Exodus 23. The second temptation to swear by other powers, uh, which they ended up doing in Hosea 4:15. The third temptation to serve other powers, which... Uh, is mentioned throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy, and then finally that that temptation to actually worship other powers and 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 to prostrate themselves before them, and uh, and that was exactly the experience that Israel had eventually. Right. So, but here he's he's looking back at what God has done historically, and uses that as the basis for calling them to faithfulness uh, in the present, as they look toward an uncertain future, and and. You know, that's our situation as well. We, we, you know, who knows what tomorrow is going to hold for any of us. Uh, but we look back at what God has done uh, and continues to do as yeah. the best predictor we have. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. These are, um, and that really is something I appreciate you, because I actually hadn't made, made this connection here. But yeah, when you look at verse 7, you know, you have these kind of three items here, which, uh, yeah, it, I think this is a, 
this is certainly a feature that you have in all of this um, kind of biblical Hebrew, which just kind of is, uh, I mean, it's all just kind of poetry, really, um, that you have this idea of, um, you know, uh, mentioning the names of their gods, swear by them or serve them or, or bow down to them, right? The, kind of these very, yeah. very similar to Psalm 1, right? Kind of the different mm-hmm. aspects of, of the body, the, the, the different motions. And these are the temptations that, of course, as you were just elaborating, Israel would succumb to but then these are the exact same temptations then that our lord jesus when he was tempted and he went out into the wilderness right he did not right and so he did not no, misuse did the not. name he did not misuse the name of god uh, by using the, the power inappropriately uh, to feed himself no. in the midst of the wilderness and he did not um, succumb to the temptation of the other powers, which of course mm-hmm. uh, are associated with the other false gods of the world, right? And he did not serve. Uh, he did not serve. He did, so he did not, not bow, bow down, down to, to him, yeah. right? So, so exactly. it is. It is just very striking, just in many ways. How, as you as you've been helping us see, like this this charge is, yes, it it speaks to us in terms of a uh, you know gu- guiding us how we might live, but it speaks to how Israel failed, how we ourselves have failed, um, and how it is our Lord Jesus who actually is the only one who succeeds and takes up the mantle of Joshua. So, Absolutely. So, so many good things, so many good things in this uh, these first eight <laughs> verses. And I, I think that um, you, you know, I, I think that those are pretty, pretty well, like, uh, some, some good highlights there. There's a couple of things we might want to go back to towards the end if we have some time, but, uh, let, let's sure. go ahead then, um, and, and press on and take a look here at verses nine through 13, a little smaller chunk here, but as you were kind of saying, like there's, uh, there, there's a lot to it though. Um, there's a, particularly a few words here that will really, jump out at us as like oh hang on oh, a second. that's a really that's a really particular uh way of looking at this here right way of putting it so here's verses 9 then through 13 for the lord has driven out before you great and strong nations and as for you no man has been able to stand before you to this day one man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the lord your god who fights for you just as he promised you Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. <laughs> Ooh, just that's a, that's a stern warning, that, that, and that's that's uh, just the, the severity and the and the, the sobriety that that he speaks with, right? I mean, this is there is a real danger here. You know, I saw it that way, uh, and I agree. I saw it that way when I first read it, and then what jumped out at me as I read it over and over again was how many words here echo the marital imagery. Uh, you've got that word for clinging that, that yeah. we have in Genesis, where it says that a man shall, shall bond or cling to his wife, that same word right. that's used of Ruth and Naomi. And mm-hmm. it says, don't cling to, to these people like that. 
and uh, you've got you've got a word for uh, uh, intermarriage uh, or intermingling uh, or associating with that actually <laughs> is is a fairly sexual term. Uh, it mm, talks about mm-hmm. going into, and it's a very it's a very physical term to enter into, and right. it it has a very intimate side to it, and and it's using these these very uh, physical, very marital, very uh, uh, strongly relational terms to say that uh, the same way that that uh, the prophets spoke of God in in a in a in a like a marriage with Israel. And here we have we have a hint of that with God's relationship with Israel, like a marriage, and don't commit spiritual adultery against the Lord by prostituting yourself and committing spiritual adultery with the nations around you. Don't don't get into the cancer of compromise with with the nations that surround you and and find yourself uh, allowing your the, the the integrity of your faith to be to be compromised by the associations you make with these peoples. And I, I, you're right. This is a, this is an incredibly powerful section, just absolutely powerful. And I think too, I I really appreciate the way that you broke it down, especially some of the vocabulary that you might not at a first glance, right. Think is like kind of the marriage thing, right? So, you know, when, when he starts talking kind of the marriage vocabulary, you're like, Oh, okay. That's just kind of uh, you know, one of the metaphors or one a different idea, right. Different ways of looking at it. But I mean, it, it's kind of consistently all that metaphor here. Right. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it is very, he's just hammering this point home, right? Like th- this is about this, covenant relationship there we go right because that's what marriage is right it's it's a covenant right this covenant relationship between you and god and and what's going to happen when you start acting like it's not god that you're in this relationship with but like these other gods and these other people right and i mean it's a it's a it's a powerful uh warning and a very emphatic point because all the stuff he's talking about is stuff that Israel has already gotten wrong. I mean, like, you know, we, we think back to numbers yeah. and, and what happened there, right? By, uh, you know, uh, Baal of Peor, right? You know, over there with uh, sure. Balaam and, and everything else, right? I mean, e- exactly the stuff he's warning against. So, I mean, no- nothing he's saying is outlandish or, oh, that's, you're just being overly cautious. It's all stuff that's happened before. It's, it's the consequences that they know all too well. It's the stuff that, I mean, Moses himself warned against that, okay, he's given you this land, but the the land's going to chew you up and spit you out if you're going to deny the God who gave it to you. Well, and, and it, it is so contemporary too. Uh, you know, if you read many Christian periodicals, you you, you, you see over and over again, these themes today of warnings about how, easy it is for us in 21st century America to find our, our satisfaction and our center in things other than God. And it kind of brings us back to the, to the uh, large catechism and, and the idea of, of what is the first commandment? Uh, what does it mean to have no other gods before us? What does it mean to fear, love, and trust God above all things? And, and Luther reminded us that anything on which your heart relies and depends is your God. And he said, great learning, wisdom, power, prestige, family, honor, uh, anything you cling to with your heart 
anything you entrust yourself to completely. And then at the, you know, near, near the end, he says, the greatest idolatry we have practiced up until now, and all the religious orders are founded on it, he says, is the idea of salvation by our own works. The idea that we presume that we can, by our own moral earnestness and religious zeal, somehow put God in our due. And that, that idolatry of self, that idolatry of, of seeking after power, prestige, possessions, pleasure, and even, even to make God, make an idol out of God by thinking we can put him in our due by, by our good works. And, uh, you know, we're not that far away from the problems that, that Joshua was exhorting the Israelites about. You're absolutely right. I totally agree with you that th it really speaks to our contemporary. I mean, because it's it really speaks to the situation of of e people of every age. This is the perennial problem, right? The the idolatry of the self, ultimately, right? And we've talked about this a couple times here as we've gone through Joshua. That you know, if it if it's not God who's going to be the the god the god of your heart, right? It's going to be something else, and ultimately, any other god that you put there is just that it's a god that you put there which yeah. is to say that it's it's really just you at the end of the day and and uh yeah I, and i think that <clears throat> this is something that i i really appreciate your point there about you know like luther's um elaboration that this this just happens so much when it comes to salvation through works because it's something that we we can kind of put aside or or just uh, misinterpret because we think to ourselves like oh well I mean, today, like, you know, we, people don't think that, like, they're going to heaven because they're they're really good people, <laughs> right? I mean, like, because, I mean, it's truth be told, people don't necessarily talk in those terms anymore, right? And when you talk to people who don't, they don't really consider themselves religious or, or, or Christian or anything like this, they're, they, they're not going to tell you, like, oh, well, yeah, no, I think that I do lots of good things, and so God's going to reward me. Like, no, they don't, that's not what they say. But there is a sense, a very profound sense, where it's it's actually the same problem. It's actually the same trap. And um, we, we have to take a short break here before we can elaborate on that point anymore. But hang with us. We're going through Joshua chapter 23 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 23 today, this charge that Joshua gave. Yeah, it's it's at the, towards the end of his life. He's really old at this point. We thought he was old in, in chapter 13, right? He, so he's, he's pushing 110 here, and yet so many things have not changed. The same promises of God still hold. The same dangers of the human heart 
are still there. And that's what we were just talking about before the break. We are joined today by a new guest for me. So great to have him here. We've got Pastor Dennis McFadden. He is at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Want to make sure not to forget to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I thank you for your support. Everybody, check out their website. It's lhfmissions.org. So, yes, we were just looking at this this charge here that Joshua gives, and he's using this this marriage language. And I liked how you had uh, connected this to what Luther said about uh, works and how really we spiritually cheat on God because we try to find salvation not through him, but through this other stuff that we decide um, is really going to bring us this salvation. And and what we were just talking about before we had to go into the break was that even though today people don't necessarily talk about it in terms of like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because I have done a lot of good things. There is this idea that by our works, we give ourselves meaning, right? And because of my choices, like I'm going to have a meaningful life or a purposeful life, right? Or because of my accomplishments, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to die happy or I'm going to have no regrets. And we, we have this, we can't get away from it that because of me, 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 I will somehow kind of define my own purpose and existence. And I mean, what is that really apart from the, the old fashioned word at this point, but it's what it is salvation. It, we're still doing salvation by our own choices and actions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin Luther helpfully, I think, uh, kept coming back in his Romans lectures to the idea that the original sin had to be, had to do with being curved in upon ourselves. We are hopelessly curved in upon ourselves and that self-centeredness is that, that being curved in upon ourselves is the original problem. And I, I love the way C.S. Lewis, uh, the English, the Oxford Don put it, when he said, humility isn't thinking less about yourself, it's thinking about mm, yourself right. less. Yeah. And the, the problem that I think so many of us in the church have is not that we believe that somehow uh, we are saved by our works. I, I, I suspect that most of us, particularly in a, in a good Missouri Synod Lutheran church, right. understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we believe that it's it's God's blood, sweat, and tears that gets us in the door. But I suspect that there are quite a few of us that still think it's our blood, sweat, and tears that keep us in. And that is the heart of the problem for us. We may not yeah. conceptualize it quite the way the secular person does, yeah. but it's the same problem of works righteousness. And 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 as as Joshua wrestles with his charge to the Israelites, he uses the most intimate image possible, those words from the marriage bed and the marriage uh, relationship uh, to describe the relationship of, of Jehovah, Yahweh God to Israel because he wants to drive home that idea that our relationship to God uh, has to focus first and foremost on those those first commandment issues of of our loyalty to Him above all else. Right. Yeah. No. That's that's well put. And I, I mean, you're right. It, it can sneak up on like any of us, and and really, perhaps in some ways, maybe maybe we're more prone to it because we just don't see it coming. Right. We we you know, like you were saying 
know, Missouri Synod Lutherans were like, okay, no, if there's one thing we're not going to get wrong, it's we're not, we're not going to fall into the error <laughs> of thinking that we're saved by our works, right? Like that's like the yeah. one thing we're going to get right, right? So of course that that's that's not a problem here, right? But but because like we just kind of open ourselves up to this blind spot, like you were saying, you know, perhaps the form it takes is that you know we like you were suggesting like we think to ourselves like oh well yeah like kind of hypothetically in some kind of abstract sense he he's the one who you know saves me has you know given me faith etc but we kind of then on the practical everyday level say but it's like you know because i'm doing stuff and i you know I, yeah. I pray lots and i go to church lots and i give lots of like and it's this stuff that i'm doing right is kind of the day-to-day thing so we, we kind of minimize what we mean by God saving us, saving us. Uh, but then we t- we kind of maximize really what we are actually doing to that. We actually save ourselves, right? So it's just a, a matter of emphasis or, or, or maybe even sneakier still, right? We just, we totally in the abstract say, oh, no, no, no. It, it's God who saved us. And he, he's the one who maintains us, right? As it says in the small catechism on the third article of the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, of the uh, Apostles' Creed, right? Um, but, right. but then... When it comes to the things that we actually look for in life, in terms of what makes what ma- what makes it so that I can actually be happy, what what is it that I'm looking to for for purpose for direction? Like, what is it that that's the non-negotiable in my life? Right, that you know, when things get busy, is the first like is the last thing that I'm going to cut out of my calendar. Right, when, when we kind of turn to the effective day-to-day experience of salvation in the sense of what's meaningful and purposeful in our lives right like do we in the abstract say oh it's god and it's all by his grace but but in the end we were actually day-to-day outsourcing it to something else (laughs) i like that phrase outsourcing it absolutely so yeah, so your your point your point is well taken, and the language of marital infidelity is not unwarranted. It is a very effective image for for what's going on. The, the kind of unfaithfulness, the unfaithfulness that denies um, just the the most intimate physical realities, right? Like it's just it's really a denial of of who we are, of of what. Um, you know, what, what makes us us even when we practice this kind of spiritual adultery. So yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful uh, charge and a warning, but it's not at all um, an exaggerated or, or inflated idea here. So, uh, you know, last thing I want to maybe um, ask about before we read this next section here. I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good imagery here. I want to just go to the the basic idea there back in verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And it really is striking to me how often these words come up in Scripture, love and hate. And it the more and more that I read the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, actually, because I think like we, we saw one way back when, almost a year ago now, uh, read the Gospel of John, and we looked at all the ways that uh, the Lord Jesus talks about love, right? The more I, I look at these words, love and hate, the more I, I get the sense, and, and I think that C.S. Lewis, speaking of um, you know an, a good author, mm-hmm. uh, kind of talked about this a little bit too, that we, we kind of emotionalize all this language, right? So that 
Mm-hmm. Be very careful, oh, therefore, to love the Lord your God. We, we just minimize it to like, just just make sure you have like warm feelings towards God, right? Like make sure that you, you, your heart's in the right place or something like that. We just emotionalize it. And so we it becomes very easy to, to cross off the list, right? Because it's like, you know, every day you can wake up and be like, okay, do I love God? Sure, I love God. Yeah, I love God. I love mom's apple pie. I love, you know, babies or rainbows, right? Who doesn't love that, right? Um, <laughs> we just we just kind of make it about um, like pref- preferences or appetites or kind of these kind of general um, kinds of alignment. But but the, the word, I think, uh, really has this sense of be careful to be on his side, right? Be, be careful to to make him be your partner and your ally and not something or someone else. You know, it really is, um, I feel like very objective, observable language about who are you? I mean, I mean, and this is to, to your point, who are you getting into bed with? I mean, like, and it's just, yeah, yeah. if you do it or, or if you don't, it, it's, it's actually obvious from the way you conduct your life. It, it's not at all just an inner emotional thing that's invisible and only you know it's it's a hundred percent what are you doing through your actions that either ally you to him or um, set him as your enemy well stated there's 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 another uh, point that that we probably should catch before we move on to and that is uh how uh ugly uh joshua makes uh the idea of turning uh, yes. In the Old Testament, that word for repentance can be a very beautiful idea. We, we think of, uh, in the New Testament, in, in Luke 15, we think of the prodigal uh, repenting and coming home. We think of the, of the father running to meet him on the road. And, you know, we think of, uh, you know, you know we, we can all think of movie scenes that involve reconciliations, that involve right. a turning. And ordinarily for us, that that can be that can bring a you know who's so hard-hearted that they they don't get a tear in their eye when they see a a turning scene that that brings right. a, a real emotion. But he puts two for in a, in the Hebrew he he combines two forms of the same verb for turn to give yeah. a stark reality of the ugly consequence of apostasy in all right. of its ugliness when he talks about what it means to turn, turn against God in an ugly, ugly way. And he warns that the way of turning against God, who has, has pledged himself in covenant with you, is to turn against life itself. Where, where right. is their hope? You think of Peter's comment, you know, at, at Caesarea Philippi, where else would we go? You know, you right. have the words of life. And, uh, you know, here, here you've got Joshua using a really powerful, ugly image to describe what it means to turn your back on the living God. And uh, right. I, I didn't want to escape. You know, uh, that's such a pungent uh, illustration. I didn't didn't want us to escape that either before we move on to the next section. Right. No. No. And, and thank you for drawing our attention to that. Right. Because it is a very actually powerful and emphatic moment in the Hebrew. Right. As you were saying, he actually repeats the verb like he he says the verb twice yep. i mean right so like in, yeah, exactly. in the hebrew it's kim shuv tashuvu like so i mean and, and yeah. we do this the same thing in english right whenever you repeat a word twice 
it, it's kind of like there's this kind of ex extra meaning to it, right? Um, you, you know, it's uh, unfortunately they didn't, they didn't have bold, they didn't have bold italics or <laughs> large type font well, in, in <laughs> Microsoft, so they well, had to say it twice. <laughs> well, that that's 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 fair, uh, very too true. Um, but like, I guess we do the same thing in English too, right? Where and unfortunately, this is just the terrible example that comes to mind right now but in english for instance when you say you know like hang on a second like uh you said that you went to the restaurant and you got a drink did you did you have a drink or did you have a drink drink right like if you if you yeah. go and you repeat it right it kind of there's this it kind of has the shift in the meaning here and it seems like here it's like this if you just i mean it's it's a it, it's something it's sort of like if you just even for a moment do this right like if this, if this ever happens if, if you go back you know because i think that's the, the the big difference that it's like with the good turning it's like you, you get off the wrong path and you go on to the right path right but but this is this idea of like backsliding like you're falling backwards yeah. you know you're you're instead of climbing out of the pit you're jumping back down Right. I mean, like you were like you were saying, just kind of this is how what a what a terrible, unthinkable thing it is. Like if you do that, the consequences are disastrous, totally disastrous. I mean, you think about yeah. what we've seen just in Joshua. Right. We, we saw this with Aiken. Right. I mean, one guy we'll talk about. It's probably not just one guy, but just one family. This this relatively small part of them. Right. Like outwardly did this. But the disaster that befell them because of it, you know, this even if it seems slight, you know, just by turning your mm -hmm. back on God and going back down into that pit, it's, it's just going to be chaos. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead then and look at the last section here from verse 14 onward here. He wraps up this charge here, the last part of Joshua chapter 23. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that has that he has given to you. Mm. So striking just, you know, uh, it's uh, it feels a lot like the prophets, right? Like we just read through Isaiah before this. Um, Isaiah works the same way. You know, he, he'll he'll actually start off by, you know, talking about the gospel, <laughs> right? Like, and hey, look, look what God has done for you. Look what he will do. Um, and he tends to end the sermon, actually, with the law, saying, and look he out, sure because, does. yeah, because th this, this is what's going to happen, right? And it's just, even well, in this uh, small section, isn't it interesting, just even in the way that he talks, how many times did he say I, I in these last several verses, the Lord your God, right? It's like reminding them, hey, yeah. he's your God, not them. He's your God, not them. He, I mean, he said it like yeah. half a dozen times or something. Well, and, and look at how many times he talks about the good land, the good land yeah. he gave you, the good things he promised you, the good he did for you. 
Uh, but now here's, I love the ESV, but here's one place I'm going to disagree. If mm. you look at verse 16, I think it was a mistake to translate it if. Uh, the, the construction in the original is most often uh, has a temporal meaning. It should be when. When you transgress, mm-hmm. I think what he's, I, I think Joshua understood very well that the old Adam clings to us like glue. And uh, no matter who we are, where we are, he knew very well that those Israelites uh, were going to slide back into some pretty rank behavior. And I think a better translation of 16 would be when you transgress the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you will perish quickly. And that sets up the 722, 586 and 70 AD sequence, because that's exactly what happened. They they did exactly what Joshua uh, warned them about and predicted they would. And in 722, the Assyrians uh, uh, destroyed the north, 586 or 7, depending on how you count the, the uh, year. Uh, the Babylonians did the same to the south. And then in 70 AD in August, the Romans uh, destroyed Jerusalem. And, and just as God said through his prophets and just as he said through his servant Joshua, it happened. And uh, yeah. that is the law. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. No. You know, he, certainly. You know. You, you know. In in this covenant model, the Lord keeps his promises, but he disciplines disobedience, and that's that's why I I thought that's why when I started, I I made the observation. It's interesting to me that if you look at the uh, the maps, it is probably within a mile, if that, of where Joshua and the people of Israel crossed the Jordan, that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And so mm-hmm. Joshua and Yeshua are right there in the same locality on the opposite side of the Jordan. Uh, and Jesus goes and meet, you know, Joshua comes off of 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus goes immediately to 40 days of testing in the wilderness. Right. And he fulfills the law perfectly for us. And I love the way Luther wraps it up. Christ satisfied the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly, for he loved God with his whole heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind. He loved his neighbor as himself. Therefore, when the law comes and accuses you as, of having not kept it, stand and, and say, there is the man who's kept it. To him I cling. He fulfilled it for me and gave his fulfillment to me. Thus the law is silenced. And, uh, you know, there's that amazing connection between, you know, the work that Joshua did and the work that Jesus finished. The two Joshuas. Uh, Yes. And and we've been tracking that theme throughout. And we, uh, you know, like my my favorite moment of like two, two Joshuas, right, is when, uh, you know, going back to the earlier part of Joshua that we looked at, when he's there, um, about to lead the Israelites against Jericho, right? Who who does he find? But it, it would seem like the the uh, pre-incarnate embodiment of the true Joshua, yep, yep. And, and there it is, the two exactly. Joshuas talking to each other, and yeah. and, and the first Joshua is like, "Hey, like, who are you? Are are you on our team?" And uh, he said, and, the, and then the true Joshua says, uh, "No, 
uh, the question is, uh, are you on God's right? You know, and so just, uh, a very, very, very powerful moment there. But yes, the uh, yeah, the, the two Joshuas and all of this pointing ahead. It is. Um, I'll admit I had not considered, you know, um, you know, this question of, you know, should we be translating it kind of if as sort of like he's kind of saying, like, you know, these are kind of the rules and this is like, you know, what might happen. Um, or if it really ought to be translated as when almost like a, like a prophecy, like, Hey, this is, this is going to happen. Cause I know you're not going to get it right. Um, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, certainly you're, you're right about the, the Hebrew word there in verse 16. Anyway, it is, it is that, that construction, which generally is like a, a, a when, right? It's the kind of normal way that you say, you know, we, we saw that earlier when they talked about, for instance, uh, you know, when they were crossing the Jordan, right? Like, so it's the same kind right, of construction, right. truth, truth be told, right? Um, so it, it's an interesting point about whether it is, um, prophetical because i mean it certainly did turn out that way right or um or if he's using really vivid language right in the same way that you know um i don't know we, we, you might warn your, your your child or something like that and you, you're, you're t- trying yeah, to explain yeah. to them like don't do this you, you don't do out there because because you know baby when you go out there you're gonna get hit by a car right so you can't just jump out without mm-hmm. looking both ways right and so you might you might use that kind of when language because you're, you're trying to like put this in their heads, right? Like vividly, like guys, it is so certain going, certainly going to happen as a consequence. Do not think that it like might not happen and you might get out of it. This will happen when any kind of violation occurs, sure. right? Like, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point because I think and, that and, kind and, of regardless and, of the and, translation, and, and it has to be vivid. Yeah. And as good Lutherans, we believe, uh, what the formula of Concord says in article six, that, that we need the law as a warning, even though we are freed from the law and the law is not, does not bind our conscience in that sense. We need the law to tell us and to guide us and to show us, and we need the reminder. And, uh, and, you know, uh, FC six keeps telling us, (laughs) uh, and reminding us when we tend to get off track. So, yeah, uh, Joshua does that too. That's right. And, and that's and that's well said. It's not like Joshua had a bad sermon because he didn't um, end on a happy note. Right. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> I think that and that's and that's just something that I actually uh, it was a professor at the seminary who really um, helped uh, clue me into this. But I think we often confuse the law gospel distinction with the tragedy comedy distinction um, yeah. just because of our love for comedy as a genre in in like our current right. um, cultural setting and how we just i mean tragedy is not really something that we're that we're into right like we i, I remember being in, in school and hearing about like oh the greeks they had these like so many these tragedies and in some ways they seem to like them more than they liked the comedies and i remember thinking to myself well who likes the tragedies right like <laughs> why would you why would you watch those I like a right? happy ending yeah right yeah. doesn't everybody like the happy ending but um but right so just because right he ends on, on the on the down note, um, kind of tragically. I think to your point, right, which I, I think is uh, is helpful that you know by by putting it in these vivid terms of like when you do this, this is going to happen. Um, I mean, it just kind of highlights the tragic shape of what he's saying. 
not so that like there's no gospel. Hasn't he had so much gospel in this charge, right? Look what God's done for you. Mm-hmm. Look what he will continue exactly. to do for you. He loves you. He, nothing he has said has yeah. failed. Everything has he promised has come and will come, right? So so the gospel's yeah. predominant overall, but it, it does take a tragic shape. Um, and it's uh, just as you were saying, considering what actually happens, it's fitting. Yeah, very fitting, and 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 you look at you look at how uh, Israel's history traced that out over and over and over again, um, and you know even in that marital passage we had in the in the middle, if you look at some of the the language in Malachi two, where even yeah. when they came back from exile, uh, okay. and in Malachi two, you know I hate divorce says the Lord, where it's talking, you know about their tendency to. Uh, uh, shuck off their their good Hebrew wives because they want to marry right. the the farmer's daughter and get the property in Palestine that had been taken over during the right. exile by the, the the natives there and and they d- are doing it for you know financial reasons and they're abandoning their wives and and dealing treacherously with them and 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 God is saying you you come with your crocodile tears to the temple with your offerings but right. you're you're shafting your your loyal wives in favor of your financial interests and you're ultimately betraying me in the process because I stand yeah. as a witness yeah. between you and yeah. you know the the covenant theme just runs all the way through uh Joshua too uh the, the whole the whole book and that and that I think informs a lot of what we've been looking at too. God, a- amen. God there's there's a there's a pastoral, yes, yes. The the, the covenant he theme, the, the promises us. of God. Yeah. 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 He binds himself to us. Our our sins and our failures do not cause him to abandon us as we abandon him. It does bring his discipline into our lives because he loves us, as Hebrews twelve says, because he's a father who disciplines those whom he loves, but it, he never abandons us despite our, our breaking faith with him. And he, Amen. He, he's as good as his word, as good as his word. Amen. Well, brother, all out of time. Thank you so much. It was really great having you on, and I, I hope we have you on again really soon here. It was uh, maybe maybe when we're looking at some more Old Testament stuff, and you can kind of uh, give some of those insights from your your travels. It was it was great hearing your insights today, and yeah, I, I'm thought, looking forward I to thought we'd it. end up talking about the 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 relative distances between uh, his home <laughs> and Shiloh and Shechem and and Sychar and all that stuff, and we didn't even get into that. That's great. That's- <laughs> right. Those are the areas ne- I don't know much about. <laughs> <laughs> right. ne- next time, next time. All right. Peace, brother. Next time. Every- everybody, that was Pastor Dennis McFadden, pastor uh, at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.